The following message was recorded Wednesday, December 13, 2023. Pastor Ritt continues our study of the book of Ezekiel. Tonight he covers chapter 35. And now, here's Pastor Ritt. All right, where are we tonight? Ezekiel 35. I'm going to announce that Sunday night. This Sunday night, yes, we will, we will be gathered together again. Those of you who have been coming out customarily on Sunday night, uh, the best is yet to come. But we will meet again this Sunday night, uh, but we will not meet, obviously, Christmas Eve. Hmm? And then um, I have some things we want to talk about and get your, your opinion. Right? Um, Ezekiel 35. First... 24th chapter of Ezekiel comprised what? What was the first 24 chapters of Ezekiel all about? Yes, thank you. The judgment of Judah. It was the judgment of Judah for their idolatry, for turning away from the Lord. And beginning in chapter 25, he begins the judgment of the Gentile nations surrounding Judah. Why is he judging the nations surrounding Judah? What's the reason? No, their attitude and their actions towards Israel. That's what he's upset about. He's judging Judah for its idolatry, but he's judging the surrounding nations for their attitude and actions towards Israel. Go to chapter 25 for a second. As he begins pronouncing that judgment, he starts with, the, with Ammon, and then he goes on to Moab, uh, and then he goes on to Edom and Philistia, and Tyre, and Sidon, etc., etc. But I want you to pay attention to chapter 25, beginning in verse 12. Thus says the Lord God, because of what Edom did against the house of Judah by taking vengeance, and has greatly offended by avenging itself on them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will also stretch out my hand against Edom, cut off man and beast from it, and take it, and excuse me, make it desolate from Teman, that's the capital of Edom, Edom. Uh, Edom, excuse me. Dedan shall fall by the sword, and I will lay my vengeance on Edom by the hand of my people Israel, that they may do in Edom according to my anger and according to my fury, and they shall know my vengeance, thus says the Lord God. Who were the Edomites? Esau. Esau's descendant. Who was Esau? Brother to Jacob. Who was Jacob? Jacob became dirty rotten scoundrel, but Jacob became Israel. So now as we get into this prophetic uh, uh, writings with regard to the judgment of Edom, when he mentions Jacob, he's referring to the southern kingdom of Judah. When he mentions Esau, or uh, he's referring to Edom. Esau, the descendants of Esau were the Edomites. What was the stronghold of, of e Edom? Petra. How many of you have been to Israel? Many of you have been to Israel? Yeah, yeah. How many of you have been to Petra? Yeah, yeah, Petra's a marvelous uh, natural geographic wonder, right? But that was a stronghold of the Edomites, very easy to defend, and so they took great pride in the fact that they were. So this is the, the uh, descendants of, of uh, Esau, and Jacob is Israel. Now, in verse 35... God goes back to talking about the judgment of Edom. He says Mount Seir. Mount Seir is Edom. Uh, why, why do you think he's rehearsing the judgment of Edom all over again? 
chapter 35 of Ezekiel. Chapter 35 of Ezekiel. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir, that's Edom, and prophesy against it. And say to it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I am against you. I will stretch out my hand against you and make you the most desolate. I will lay your cities waste, and you shall be desolate. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And there's a series of judgments he pronounces, and he ends each of them with, And then you shall know that I am the Lord. God reveals himself through judgment. God reveals himself through his wrath. Now, Edom really represents, he's going back and he's going to discuss the judgment of Edom, but he's going to go out way beyond that. Edom really represents the Gentile nations that have caused problems for Israel, either in their attitude or their actions. And we see that the nations of the world are gathering together against Jerusalem and against Israel. There's a warning today, this week. Uh, I think it was, well, the warning was actually yesterday by the president. What did he say? About Israel? Yes. 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 What did he say? He was turning. He's turning. Yeah. He said the, the patience of the world community is drawing thin. Yeah. Uh, I think you're going to see very soon that the United States is going to turn against Israel. But Israel has to finish the job they have started. You can't let the serial killer continue to exist in your neighborhood without thinking he's going to go on killing. Right. Uh, and Israel has to finish the job. But we know, and if you've been coming on Sunday nights, you know that uh, I've been discussing the fact that the, the worst is very is yet to come for Israel. Much, much worse than it's ever been. Much worse than the Holocaust. But nobody seems to be talking about that. But it's going to be at the hand of the Gentile nations that are either very actively involved, like Russia, Iran, Turkey, or those who just are complicit by allowing it to take place. Edom did that. There are two reasons why God was judging the Edomites. They were the brothers of Israel. Esau, the brother of Jacob. As brothers, they should have cared for one another, watched out for one another. What was the first concern or uh, offense that Edom committed against Israel? That's correct. When, when they were coming out of Egypt, God was delivering them from the bondage of Egypt. They were going to pass through the land of the Edomites, and, and Moses simply requested that they allow them to pass through. They wouldn't come off the road to the left or the right. We, we won't take any of your, uh, we won't go through your vineyards. We won't go through your, your fields, uh, and we won't even drink your water. And if any of our cattle drink your water, we'll give you a recompense for that. We'll pay you for the water. And the Edomites, the king of Edom and his mighty army came out against Israel, would not allow them to pass through. And then when they were being judged by God using Babylon to destroy the southern kingdom of Judah, the Edomites relished in that and thought, oh, this is our opportunity now. Now we'll take possession of what was the land of the northern kingdom Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, and everything that they had will be ours now. And they even helped by not hiding the Jews, but uh, turning them over to their enemies. Can't imagine anybody doing that, can you? Hmm. What was discovered recently about the United Nations and the United Nations supposed peacekeepers over there in Gaza? What did they do? And they had taken an Israeli captive and turned them over to Hamas? They were storing weapons for Hamas. 
they've been collaborating with the enemy, the United Nations, right? Supposed peacekeepers. Hmm? Some of them are part of the Hamas terror network, but they're acting as peacekeepers. Unbelievable. Well, Edom was doing a similar type of thing in collaborating with the enemies of Judah and helping in their destruction and rejoicing over their destruction. On October 7th, what were the residents of Palestine doing? What were the residents of Gaza doing on October the 8th? Celebrating, cheering. What did the, were those same residents of Gaza doing after, immediately after 9-11? They were cheering, they were celebrating. So uh, believe me, when, when we, they talk about all these innocent civilians, okay, um, they voted in Hamas as their government. When did they do that? Two thousand and seven. Two thousand and five, Ariel Sharon had turned over Gaza. He forced all the Israeli Gaza was comprised of, of Palestinians and Jews. There was a Jewish area, several Jewish areas, there were several Palestinian areas. Well, Ariel Sharon uprooted all the Jews out of Gaza. And he just did that unilaterally on his own, and, and he turned it over to the Palestinians in hope that it would appease them and there'd be some level of peace that they would receive. And it was very painful for the people of Israel. I don't know if you remember that. But they had to extract those Jews by force, carrying them out, destroying their homes. I mean, it was, it was horrible, horrible. And he suffered for that, didn't he? What happened to Ariel Sharon immediately after he did that? He suffered a stroke and never recovered. Yes. How could they have dug all those tunnels? One wants to know how they could have dug all those tunnels. Where did they put all that dirt? <laughs> well, that's not, a, that's not uh, too much of an engineering problem, you know. But the fact of the matter is, uh, all right, so 2005, or I'll give you a little history lesson on Gaza. Uh, 2005, they turned it over to the Palestinians. 2007, they had an election. And who did they elect as their government? Hamas. Hamas threw out the PLO. Actually, Hamas began to assassinate, kill many of the members of the PLO. That was the Palestinian organization that Arafat had uh, controlled for, one, for a while. They took over in 2007, and there's never been another election since. Did you know that? Yeah, all these years. Now, all of the money that the international community has given them to rebuild, to build schools and hospitals, et cetera, et cetera, all, all of the, the material, they've used it all to build this vast, intricate uh, tunnel system throughout all of Gaza. Unbelievable. Um, and they've just been preparing for this infiltration to Israel ever since. They, they are sworn to the death or the genocide of the Jewish people. It's amazing to me how so many in the United States today are collaborating with them. You know, chanting that same motto. What's the chant? From the Palestinian free from the river to the sea. Palestinian free from the river to the sea. And what are they talking about? A genocide of the Jewish people, right? And we have these uh, morons in controlling these universities around the country, these prestigious universities, the blind leading the blind can't even understand what genocide really means. And it's just uh, amazing to me to see the rise in anti-Semitism in our own country now, where Jews have to be very careful in, in looking overtly Jewish. Um, very sad. Also amazing, out of the 70 or 700 at one of the universities, all the 
Yeah. Yeah, I think it was Harvard University, 500 faculty. Uh, a street preacher got shot in the head in Arizona a couple weeks ago, too. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Young lady, uh, Jewish lady walking to synagogue got, around, got attacked and beaten. It's just, it's unbelievable. I would have never imagined that this would happen here in our country, but to see how many people are in support of these people and their anti-Semitic actions. It's demonic, no doubt. But chapter 35, okay, we have this judgment of Edom. He goes on to say, verse 5, because you have had an ancient hatred. Goes all the way back to the two brothers, doesn't it? Some, some feuds really go back. You know, you know, some families have problems within their family that stem for, for generations that go back decades, and nobody seems to know what the original beef was, but they're just not talking to others. Isn't that terrible? How good and how pleasant it is when what? When brethren dwell together in unity. There's nothing more wonderful. Father is never happier than when his children are dwelling together in unity, right? And Jacob and Esau were brothers. Now, Esau had no regard for the things of God, did he? How do we know that? He gave up his birthright for what? A bowl of porridge, right? A bowl of chili. What's Edom mean? What's Esau mean? Red, red. Yeah, red. I wonder, I wonder why. I wonder, over and over, we're going to mention the bloodshed, the blood feud that existed between Esau and Jacob. Because you have an ancient hatred and have shed blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword at the time of their calamity. When their iniquity came to an end, therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will prepare for you blood. Blood shall pursue you. Therefore, blood shall pursue you. Thus, I will make Mount Seir most desolate and cut it off from one who leaves and the one who returns. I will, f I will fill its mountains with the slain on your hills and on your valleys and in your ravines. Those who are slain by the sword shall fall. I will make you perpetually desolate and your cities shall be uninhabited. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Another section that he completes indicating that through this judgment, you're going to know that I'm in control. I'm sovereign. I am the Lord. Verse 10, because you have said these two nations, these two countries shall be mine. What two countries? The northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. That's what they're talking about. They will be mine, these two countries, and I, we will possess them, although the world Lord was there. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will do according to your, your anger and according to the envy which you showed in your hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them when I judge you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord." There's a judge. Listen, remember now, Edom mentioned here is representative of all of the nations that God is eventually going to judge for their treatment of Israel, either their attitude or their actions. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, the reason for Gentile judgment that's coming very soon upon the world is because they have divided my land and you've dispersed my people. Anybody read the article from the 99-year-old Jewish World War II veteran? who uh, is a journalist in Israel and said, because of the anti-Semitism that is spreading throughout the world, it's time for all the Jews to come home to Israel. Very good article, if you saw it. Anybody see that article? Anybody know? Uh, I'll resurrect it and send it out. He's a, quite a character, 99 years old. The vitality he has and the wit, unbelievable. 
But anyway, then you should know that I am the Lord. Verse 12, I have heard all your blasphemies which you have spoken against the mountains of Israel, saying, they are desolate. They are given to us to consume. Thus, with your mouth you have boasted against me, multiplied your words against me. I have heard them. So when you come against Israel, or you come against the church, who are you coming against? God. God. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Now, Saul, it's interesting. He didn't ask the question, in what way and how am I persecuting you, Lord? The Lord said, if you've done this unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me, right? If we blessed one another, we blessed the Lord. Genesis 12, 3 is absolutely certain. It's true. I was uh, speaking to some fellows yesterday morning, right? And we were talking about Central and South America. And we said that all of the nations in Central and South America are predominantly what? In, in religion? Catholic, Roman Catholic. All of the nations are Roman Catholic predominantly in Central and South America, except one. One nation is not predominantly Catholic, it's predominantly evangelical. What nation is that? Guatemala. Isn't that interesting? Now, did you ever ask the question, why? Why is, why is Guatemala the one nation in Central and South America that is predominantly evangelical? They, they voted in 1948. They cast the deciding vote for Israel to become a nation among the nations again. And because of that, Israel has shared with them all of the advances they have made in agricultural engineering and their civil engineering. And so uh, I was in Guatemala for the first time, oh, probably, I don't know, 25 years ago. And I saw the banana plantations throughout all of Puerto Barrios. That's where Chico Lopez, how many of you know Chico Lopez? Yeah, Chico Lopez was born in Puerto Barrios, which is the southern part of Guatemala, right near the Straits of Honduras. He, he never even wore a pair of shoes till he was smuggled into America so many years ago. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, I said, that's very interesting. I said, the way you're growing those bananas and the bags and all of that, that's exactly what I saw in Israel. And the fellow who was with us, he said, well, that's not, no surprise. They taught us how to do this. And then we saw this construction taking place uh, all over the area, particularly from Guatemala City, the capital, all the way down to the Puerto Barrios. They're building a road, constructing a road. And he said, it's the Israelis that are helping us build this road as well. And uh, as we were traveling throughout Guatemala, I've been there several times, uh, it's amazing how many Jews are there, how many Israelis are there in Guatemala helping them. What does Genesis 12:3 say? I will bless those who, and I will... Ah, so, so it works both ways, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, uh, unfortunately, I don't see many nations today blessing Israel. Um, Biden feels more like he has a gun to his head, and he has to support Israel right now, although I don't think he wants to. And I think that'll come true very soon, that he won't be doing that any longer. And we do know from the prophetic word that the worst is yet to come. I think they're going to win this particular conflict, but there's a coming of conflict where they're going to be decimated. And uh, through the ashes of that, will one, one will come who will bring a false peace. He's the rider on the white horse in the early chapters of Revelation. But nonetheless, you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I have heard your blasphemy. So let's see, how far did I get? 
Uh, verse 14, thus says the Lord, the whole earth will rejoice when I make you desolate. As you rejoiced because of the inheritance of the house of Israel was desolate, so I will also do to you. You shall be desolate, O Mount Seir, as well as all Edom, all of it. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, there, it's amazing how many prophets prophesy of the destruction of Edom because of its attitude and actions towards Israel. Um, can you name some of the prophets that talk about this? Obadiah, principal message of Obadiah is the judgment of Edom. Way before Obadiah. Isaiah. Jeremiah. Amos. Malachi. Joel. All this judgment of Edom because of the way it's treated its brother Jacob. Hmm. You know the story of Joseph and his brothers? Hmm? I, it just came to me, what I wanted to share. I didn't prepare this. I don't prepare much. Uh, I just study and then let the Lord guide my mind. But there's a, in that uh, story of Joseph and his brothers, it's interesting that when they've come to Joseph the first time when he's in Egypt, and he tells them, uh, is it well with your father? They say, yes. And is this all of you? Oh, no, we have a younger brother. Who's the younger brother? Benjamin, but, but he's with our father. Hmm. Do you remember what Joseph says to them when he lets them leave that first time? What? That's right. If, if you don't bring your brother back, you will not see my face again. Now, in the story, who does Joseph represent? Jesus. Jesus. God, right. And so we have a responsibility to make sure that we're righteous in our actions towards our brothers, one another. And that was God's concern here with Edom. That's why you see this judgment of Edom in so many of the prophetic books. As I said, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Malachi. Uh, but for the sake of our conversation tonight, let's just take a look at what Obadiah has to say. It's the shortest book in the Old Testament. Let's go there. We can cover it tonight. And I'll give you a few minutes to get there. And you can even cheat and go to the front of your Bible, because most people have a hard time finding Obadiah. Yeah. What does Obadiah mean? A servant of God or a worshiper of God, either one. Yeah, you can most, most interpret it, worshiper of Yahweh. Worshiper of Yahweh. Is that what you learned, are, Leonardo? Leonardo, are you a worshiper of Yahweh? Are you a worshiper of God, a servant of God? What does it mean to worship? Sing songs? No. Far more than just singing songs, isn't it? What does it mean to worship? Is it the preaching of the word? No, it's far more than the preaching. Of the Some will say worship is just the singing of the songs as we gather together to praise him. Some will say, no, 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 it's the preaching of the word. That's the worship of God. What's the real worship of God? The true worship of God? Obedience. obedience. Living your life in obedience to his word, being his servant. Hmm? That's worship, right? Hmm. And so Odiah was, a worshiper of Yahweh, living in obedience to God's word. Everybody there? Everybody find it? Obadiah? Now, which Obadiah is this? There's 12 men in the Bible named Obadiah. Which Obadiah is this one? I'm sorry? 
number eight. There's 12 men in the scriptures named Obadiah. Which one is this? We don't know. <laughs> For certain, we, we don't know. We can't be certain. But as I said, it's the, it's the shortest of all of the books in the Old Testament. I'm sorry? This Obadiah is a prophet. There you go. Yeah, this Obadiah is a prophet. 21 verses. He's a minor prophet. Uh, what's the difference between a minor and a major prophet? I didn't ask you. I'm pointing my finger here. What's the difference between a major and a minor prophet? Do you know? No, no. You know, we would think that because, you know, if you're playing baseball and you're in the minor leagues, but you're not in the major leagues, well, you're not so good, right? You're not as good. But listen to me now. The only difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet is the amount of writing. How many chapters? How many verses? The extent of their writing. But some of those minor prophets, their messages are very important, very important. Right? Uh, this one applying to Edom, but more appropriately applying to the nations of the world that would come against Israel, the judgment of the nations of the, of the Gentile nations of the world that's coming very soon is because of their attitude and their actions towards Israel. Yeah. yeah, look at how important the book of Joel is. Zechariah, wow, Zechariah, those three chapters that we went through on the Sunday nights uh, immediately after the October 7th attack, how meaningful are they today, today, those chapters, right? Minor prophet. But anyway, we're in Obadiah. Obadiah here is uh, speaking of the destruction of Edom, the descendants of Esau, because of the treatment of their brother, Jacob, Israel, Judah more specifically, and in the first nine verses, it, it's speaking of the destruction that will come. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You will dwell in the clefts of the rock whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord God. What's the problem here? What are they being judged for? Pride, pride. What does Proverbs 16 say, 16, 18? Pride cometh before, and the Holy Spirit before. Pride cometh before destruction, the Holy Spirit before the fall. Is there any place for pride in the Christian's life? No. no, no. Where's our boast? Surely not in us, not in anything we've done. Our boast is in the Lord, right? So what are they taking pride in right now? What is he, he coming against them for? They're so prideful. What do they think of themselves? They're above everybody up. They're beyond destruction. They're invincible. Now, remember that the, the capital was Timon, but they had that fortress in Petra, and you had to go through that sig. You know what the sig was? How many of you have seen uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay. Now, there was this one portion where there was actually filmed that Petra where he goes through this sig, this, this crevice in this mountain, and then it breaks out into this area, and you see these, these buildings cut into the limestone rock, and the first building you come to when you come out of the sig is the treasury building, right? But that area that, that you break open into, it's as large as the area of Manhattan. You know, it's amazing. 
And there are nomads who live in that area, even to this day. The last, the last time I was there, it was quite a while ago. But uh, and it was cold. It was in, uh, I think it was February. And there were people living in the caves. And uh, Roberta was with me at that time. And there were all these kids that would follow us. And she just started giving away her clothes. You know, I said, <laughs> I said, what are you doing? You know, she gave her hat away. She gave her gloves away. She took off her jacket. I said, you know, <laughs> just feeling so sorry for them. They had nothing, you know. But uh, it was interesting how they were living in the caves. Now, a lot of the Calvary chapels have hidden some things inside Petra. You know what they hid there? Ammo boxes with Bibles in them with the messages of the last days and what was taking place. And why did they do that? Who's going to flee to Petra? Israel. Why would Israel flee to Petra? They, they got Israel. And now they're, they're going to clean up Gaza. Why would they flee to Petra? Because the Bible says they will. Because when Gog Magog invasions takes place, two-thirds of the Jews are going to be killed. Think about this, please. How many Jews in the world today? 15, 16 million? If two-thirds of them were killed, how many is that? 10 million, far more than the Holocaust. And, and then the third that remained, they're going to be hunted, they're going to be persecuted, and many of them are going to have to flee to Jordan to the rock city of Petra. And they'll be preserved there for a time, times, and half a time. How long is that? Three and a half years. All of this is predicted. It's fascinating. But we're, listen to me. That particular area of time, or dispensation of time, called the, the Day of the Lord, is about to take place. We're, we're seeing the beginnings of a time that the Bible speaks more of than any other. This is fascinating. What's happening? The attitude of Turkey, Erdogan, their leader, right? Russia, now? Iran? Now, what, yeah, how, many how many attacks on the United States, the United States installations since October 17th? How many? How many 80? 87 attacks since today. Since today. 87 attacks on American installations. And who's attacking us? Iran. And what are we doing about it? Nothing. All we display, all this administration displays is weakness. Isn't that true? Do you know the saying, weak men produce? Difficult times. Weak, listen, weak men. Look at what weak men have done in our society. The fatherlessness in our nation. What has it done? Weak men. Be thankful you got a strong father. Right? Absolutely. Weak men produce difficult times. Difficult times produce strong men. You have to, you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and ask God to help you. Right? And strong men produce... Good times. Isn't that what Trump did? Was he a strong man? Yes. Did he not? What conflict did we have during the Trump administration? Why? Strong. strong. Everybody, our enemies feared us. Our allies respected us. That's not the case anymore. So we had a strong man who produced good times. And the good times produced weak men. And so the cycle goes, you see. Who, who was the one in England who helped them win the, such a strong leader, helped them win World War II? Winston Churchill. And what did they do after the war? Threw them out of office. Threw them out of office. And then what happened? 
They got a weak leader, and it produced diff. I mean, it's just it's insane how we do that, isn't it? Absolutely insane. You know, what America needs is more strong men, more than ever before. But I don't know if that's going to happen. We don't produce them any longer. So it was their pride, right? Uh, their pride in their ability to defend themselves, to protect themselves. And then as, as a, a commerce center in that part of the world through their trading, and they had a lot of allies that would come alongside them because they were so economically powerful, so rich, right? They took great pride in their wealth, in their treasures, and their ability to be the number one trader or the leader of commerce throughout the world. Uh, can you uh, see any similarities to today? So after World War II, what one nation was the pride of the world? The greatest generation, right? We did this. We made this happen. And we become the economic one, number one economic power in the world. And, and we now, now we're, we're in trouble, folks. You know that, right? We're, I mean, we're teetering right on the edge. Most uh, Americans who had a good financial strategy would say that, you know, you, you know, Social Security, you're not supposed to depend upon that for your retirement, are you? No. So along with Social Security, you wanted to have a couple of other things. What were they? Savings? Lots of peanut butter. And don't forget the jelly. <laughs> Lots of peanut butter. No, you should have your, your own 401k, right? 401k. I'm sorry? That's a pension. A pension, a 401k, right? And your savings and the Social Security. Now, most Americans don't have two out of the three. The only one they depend upon now is what? Not good. Not good. Uh, house of cards ready to come rumble. Most Americans do not have as much as 70% of American households don't have $1,500 in savings. Is $1,500 in savings a lot of money? No. 70% of American households do not have $1,500 in savings. And they don't have a 401k or a pension. That's, that's a recipe for disaster in the future. Wasn't that one of the main things that brought Rome down, was giving all the money out of the treasury to keep everybody happy? Yeah. What are we doing now? Yeah. College tuition. College tuition. We're going to pay off all their debt. You know. We're going to indoctrinate them for free. <laughs> so now, now he's going to judge us. God is going to judge them for their pride in their wealth, trusting in their wealth. Verse 5, if thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you would have been cut off, how they would have stolen till you had enough. Their grape gatherers had come to you. Would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. All the men of your confederacy shall force you to the border. Now, this, this other area in which they were taking great pride is in their alliances. You know, our international partners. You hear the Secretary of State say that so often, right? When you start to question him about 
things that the Biden administration is doing, and then he always cloaks it with our international partners. What, what do our allies think of us today? Hmm? And so many of our allies are, are scheming against us now. The only reason why we had friends is because we were rich. And we were making them rich, okay? We were enriching them by having these alliances that we had, these trading partners, okay? But now that we are in trouble financially, and now that you have, what's the organization that's contrary to the, to the G7? Brex? Who, who's Brex? Russia, China, India, South America, South Africa, Brazil. And now who else joined BRICS recently? Several nations joined BRICS. BRICS is to counter the G7. BRICS is to come against the, the wealth and the economic power of the West, right? And they're going to be doing that very soon by... What, what was the one currency you had to use in order to purchase energy? Dollars. Petrodollars, gas, oil, whatever it was, you had to do it in dollars. Every nation had to have a reserve of dollars in order to buy the, their energy that they needed. Well, that, that's not the case anymore. And what's going to happen to those dollars that all these nations have stored up in reserves? And what's going to happen when they dump them on the market? Significantly devalue the dollar, right? Mm. Store of peanut butter be worth more than a dollar, you know? <laughs> $20 worth of peanut butter today, right? Sell it on a black market for $100 later. I heard the other day that honey lasts for years and years. Oh, honey's going to last a long time. Huh? <laughs> no, I said honey's going to last a long time. <laughs> She's a very healthy girl. <laughs> All right, so he's, he's saying here that they're going to be devastated, their economy is going to be devastated, and that they can't trust in their alliances any longer. Remember that, that, that Judah, one of the reasons why God judged Judah is because they were trusting in their alliance with Egypt to come against the Babylonians. But did Egypt support them? No, they turned their back on them. They backstabbed them. Uh, we, we have a lot of so-called allies in the world today that it's very obvious that they're going to turn tail and run. Hmm? Yeah. yeah, especially when the bank account runs out, you know? Yeah. Right. You know, the prodigal son. What happened when his money ran out? So did his fair-weather friends. They were all gone. And that's what these are. Yes, you'll be searched out. Verse 7, all of the men of your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one shall be aware of it. Your wise men won't even realize, won't even be able to discern. You're feeding your enemies, and eventually they're going to turn on you. The Nabateans, the Nabateans came in to Edom. They were in alliance with the Edomites, but when they came in to feast among them, then, then they turned upon them. Hmm. What nation have we traded with, become an alliance with, and we were feeding our enemy? China. China. Who did that? Nixon. Nixon. Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon. Who, who was behind all of that? It wasn't Nixon. It was the guy that just recently died. Kissinger. Kissinger. Henry Kissinger. He's a globalist. You know, he, 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 was, he was a an enemy of nationalism, enemy of the United States in our sovereignty. He was a globalist. But nonetheless, uh, we, we've created the, the power that China is today. We've created that. 
We did that. Isn't that amazing? That's precisely what God is saying the Edomites are doing with their enemies, their alliances. Their, their alliances will eventually become their enemies. Hmm? Beginning in verse 8, he's talking about the people that they're trusting in, their wise men, their army, their uh, entrepreneurs, their craftsmen, all be destroyed and slaughtered. Verse 8, I will, will I not, in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and the understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of, of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. I'm going to destroy them all. But where's the wisdom of our wise men today? The institutions that we, I grew up trusting in, believing that, that we as a nation and as a people could trust that they were, they were looking out, their governance was looking out for our security, our prosperity, our safety, having our, our best interest at heart. Boy, that's not true anymore, is it? No. The corruption is on both sides of the aisle, and it is pervasive, isn't it? It's unbelievable. The corruption that exists in our country today the lack of true justice. Verse 10, now he talks about how uh, they, they just stood by indifference to the suffering of Judah. And, and uh, you know, a friend of mine uh, has traveled to Ukraine a couple of times now, and he's developed a relationship with a, with a church in the Ukraine and a pastor there who's trying to help a lot of the the refugees from the war that's taking place. And he emailed me an email that he got just this past week from that pastor. It was very, very hard to read it, very sad. And uh, most of the world, and, and I confess I haven't paid a lot of attention to the suffering that the Ukrainians are going through right now. But he was just uh, pouring out his heart how grieved he is, how much pain he's in emotionally over what's taking place, how the nation is ravaged. The young men that are in the hospitals, and there's no medicine for them. I mean, the, the, there are more amputees from this Ukrainian war since it's been going on than the 20 years of the Afghan conflict, the conflict that we have suffered in the Middle East. We talk about a lot of walk, walking wounded that we have. There are more amputees as a result of that war than any of the 20 years in which we were fighting ISIS or uh, Al-Qaeda. It's amazing. And the care that they get is primitive in comparison to the care that our, our warriors had received. But nonetheless, he was saying that they were just, they, they felt so fortunate that they still have electricity. And so fortunate they still have some food, but nothing else. And, and trying to reach these people who have been so affected by this war that we've caused. Russia didn't cause this war. The United States caused this war. You know the truth. This corrupt government. And, and we'll pay a price for that. God will judge us for that. But the suffering that's going on there and all the blood that's, that's been shed there, that's on our hands, the United States. We forced that war. And now, uh, if you've been following the news, uh, Zelensky came here this week, right? Meet with the president, met with the uh, leader of the House, met with some of the leaders in the Congress. And, and now, um, if you know the truth, Zelensky's going to go back and do what? 
He's got to plead for peace with Russia. He's, he's, he's forced into a situation now because Germany's not supporting him anymore. NATO's not going to support him anymore. I mean, just, you know, it's just a, a constant drain, right? And it was just a money laundering system anyway. I mean, you've got to wonder why so many of the weapons we gave Ukraine ended up in the Middle East. How did that happen? Hmm? And why is it that all this humanitarian aid that, that, that the world is screaming should be given to the, to the uh, Gazans, right? Well, what about the leaders of Gaza who are billionaires, multi-billionaires? Why aren't we taking some of their funds and using that to support their own people, right? Interesting. But you're going to see very soon, over the next few weeks, you're going to see that there's going to come a peace negotiation, a diplomacy between Ukraine and Russia. In all probability, Zelensky is going to be taken out of the way, because he can't be the man to do that. Um, but they're going to put somebody else in power. And I'm surprised he's lasted this long. I'm surprised he hasn't been assassinated. But they'll put somebody else in power who's going to negotiate a peace with Putin, who's going to guarantee the neutrality of Ukraine and give that whole eastern portion of Ukraine, which was Russian territory, back to uh, Russia. And so all of this loss of blood and treasure, for what? Just like the 20 years in Afghanistan, for what? And we left billions of dollars of equipment there? Behind? You know, you know, when there was going to be that, that, that plan to leave Afghanistan under the Trump administration, what was his plan with regard to all of our military equipment that was there? He said, I don't even want to leave a paperclip. That's what he said. We won't even leave a paperclip behind. What did the Biden administration do? They left jets. I mean, billions of dollars of equipment behind for them to use against us. It's amazing. Where's the wise men? Where's the sage? They don't exist anymore. Why? Why? God has given us over. Remember Romans 1? Over to a big mind. I better keep going. For violence against your brother, Jacob, Judah, shame shall cover you. This is verse 10 now. And you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, their foreigners entered their, his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. Even you were as one of them. You helped them. You stood by. You did nothing. And you collaborated. And you would point out where the Jew was hiding. Isn't that what the UN has done recently? Unbelievable. But you shall not have gazed on the day of your brother. In the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in that day of their destruction. This is 586 B.C. when the Babylonians came in and finally finished off Judah. There were three military campaigns made against Judah, remember? But this was the last one in 586 B.C. For in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed in their affliction. In the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance. In the day of their calamity, you should have not stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered them up among them who remained in the day of distress. They turned them in, their own brothers. Hmm. This is George Soros. Now his son has obviously carried his genes executing the same plan that his father did. But where did Soros get all of his money? First of all, what is Soros? So what's Soros by ethnicity? Do you know? He's a Jew. 
George Soros is a Jew. Where did Soros get all of his money? Collaborating with the Nazis. His father and he collaborated with the Nazis on the confiscation of all of the Jewish wealth of those Jewish merchants and industrialists there in Europe. Their homes, their treasures, their savings, their businesses, everything. Stood by and did nothing as they were being killed. And as everything they worked so hard for, most of their life was being confiscated. And the little bit of what the Nazis would give them is would enrich them. And that's how he got all his money. I think there's a special place in hell for George Soros. Yeah. And people like that. And this is what is saying here. He is so upset with Edom. And remember, several, several prophetic books talk about this judgment against Edom. Listen, it's a very serious matter on the way we treat one another as brothers and sisters. God expects us to deal righteously with one another. Hmm? If, if anybody told me that I would suffer the slings and arrows, <laughs> the, the, the things that, the attacks that would come to me from Christians, not the world. 27 years of my corporate career, I was never treated as badly in the world as I have been in the church by Christians. Slandered, lied about. Unbelievable. And how does God feel about that, the way we treat one another? We're family. You know, nothing could upset a parent more than when their children fight, when their children don't get along, when their children don't love one another. And this is what God is saying to Edom, your brother Jacob, how could you, how could you stand by and watch his suffering and not try to help, not do something? Now he's going to go way out into the future, into our yet future, to the true day of the Lord, the millennial reign. For the day of the Lord is upon all the nations is near. So he's talking about the judgment of the Gentile nations for their attitude and actions towards Israel. All of them. Those who acted so, so unrighteously, so unjustly towards Israel, and those who were complicit, just let it happen. For the day of the Lord is upon all the nations is near. As you have done, so it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall never be as though they had ever been. But on, the, on Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance. Salvation will come. Can't you, don't you long for the Prince of Peace to come? You know, we, we celebrate this time of year, and we remember what the angels had shared to the shepherds. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Now, wait, now, we know what that means contextually, but the peace won't come until Shar Shalom comes, the Prince of Peace. He said one of the signs of the last days will be wars and rumors of wars. When have we not warred? When has there not been war? When has there not been hatred, bloodshed? When have we not killed our children? Hmm? Oh, Lord, come quickly. Because when he comes, there will be a peace, and that's what he's talking about now, that the nations, the Gentile nations of the world are going to be judged for the rejection of him and the treatment of God's people, the Jew and the church, the body of Christ. But on Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, to the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. Uh, the house of Jacob was the southern kingdom of Judah. The house of Joseph, re reference to the northern kingdom of Israel, 
And but the house of Esau shall be stubble. They'll be burned up. They shall kindle them and devour them. And no survivors shall remain in the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. It's absolutely certain this judgment is coming. God said it, it's going to happen. And, you know, as you read the scriptures and you see what, what God has foretold is going to take place in the very near future, it's almost hard to believe, isn't it? But it's God's word and it's going to happen. Now, what's even harder to believe is this wonderful time that's coming we call the millennial reign. A thousand years of peace. The millennium. The revelation, right? Chapter 20, I think it is, speaks of it six times. The thousand year reign, the thousand year reign, the thousand year reign, the thousand year reign. It's a thousand years of peace, of which the church has been arguing about for 2,000 years. <laughs> we, can't, we don't agree, do we? No, 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 no. But there are non-essential things, but we have to agree on the essentials. Hmm? But I, as much as I know, and it's not a lot, of this wonderful time that's coming, I can't wait for that day. I am so tired of what's happening in our world. The pain, the suffering, the sorrow, the sin should never have been. What, what was this controversy about this, uh, this basketball player? What's his name? LeBron James. Uh, is that his name? LeBron James. What, what did he do that's gotten so many people upset? Set through the national anthem in his son's basketball game. He thinks America has treated black people unjustly, that the that police, law enforcement are hunting down black people. Any of that true? And, and, and you know, can you imagine LeBron James talking about white privilege? <laughs> Trying to explain to his white garbage collector how he has white privilege and he's an oppressed man in his multi-million dollar mansion, living such a luxurious lifestyle because of the opportunities that America presents to everybody and anybody, if you want to work hard, right? Amazing, just amazing, crazy. I'm not running for political office. Verse 9, I'm sorry? No, I'm not going to never, 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 dirty, dirty, dirty business. You know, everybody who goes into that gets corrupted, or you have to leave to stay Everybody who goes into politics becomes corrupted, or you need to leave to maintain your integrity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 19. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowland shall possess Philistia. And they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead, and the captives of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. So Israel is going to be possessing all of the land that God had promised them. And they, they've only occupied 10% of what God promised them. God promised them from the Mediterranean Sea to where? The Jordan River? The Euphrates, the Euphrates River. Israel has never possessed more than 10% of the promise God gave them here. They're going to possess it all. God's going to give them the land that he promised them. Hmm? The captives of Jerusalem who are in Shepharad shall possess the cities of the south. Their survivors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. What kingdom? What kingdom are we talking about here? 
the messianic millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Now, now, the reason why he emphasizes this so much now is because when Jesus judges the world and individuals, how is the kingdom of God advanced? One soul at a time. We, we saw that on Sunday morning. What was that one soul that was advancing the kingdom? You weren't here Sunday morning. You got an excuse. The Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch. The kingdom of God is advanced one soul at a time. Right? And he's talking about here the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. What a glorious day that's going to be. But God is going to judge the world one soul at a time. Right? I talked about what a fearful thing it's going to be to stand before what? Was it Sunday I talked about that, or was it Sunday night? I think it was Sunday night, wasn't it? Sunday night we talked about the... Now, the great white throne judgment, what is that? That's right. That's the judgment of unbelievers. All unbelievers will go before the great white throne judgment. No believer goes through the great white throne judgment. Believers all will go through the judgment seat, which is called the bima, the bima. And I said, you know, it's going to be a fearful thing. Now, you're not going to be condemned. There's no punishment. The Bema Seed is a reward for those things you've allowed Christ to do through you, right? Now, we'd like to have something that we're going to be rewarded for. I'd like him to say, well done, good and faithful servant for, well, the little bit you let me do through you, right? <laughs> but the real tragedy that is going to occur, now listen, you know, when you get to heaven, when you get past the Bema Seed and into the gate and into the kingdom, you won't have any regrets. No more sorrow, no more tears, no more suffering. Okay? And you won't, you won't have any regrets. But when we go before him initially at the Bema, well, there are going to be a lot of regrets for what we have not allowed Christ to do in our life. And there are rewards given that are proportionate, commensurate to whatever you've allowed Christ to do through your life. You allowed him to do much, your reward is much in the kingdom. You allowed him to do little, then your reward is little. Is that true? What would be the proof text of that? Hmm? Crowns? You receive crown, various crowns, but what do we do with all those crowns? We take him and throw them in his feet because it's what he's done anyway. It's not what we've done. But what about the parables that Jesus gives with regards to the rewards in heaven, like the parable of the minors? You know, you've been faithful with one, faithful with five, faithful with ten, but the one who had the one and buried it, oh, you evil and wicked. Then he took what he had and he gave it to the one who had ten. Wow. So there is some reason to believe that the way in which we've yielded and surrendered to serve him here now is the privilege of service that we're going to have for him then. Every one of us. The kingdom is advanced one soul at a time, but every one of us will go before him one soul at a time. You and I won't go together. We'll have to go separately. You know. Remember that time you went before the judge? Remember that? And you kept looking back and you wanted me to be. I said, no, you got to go. You, no, he wants to talk to you. Yeah. And he was so gracious too, wasn't he? You want me to tell him the whole thing? Hot foot Andy? Yeah, you're a good driver. You're, you're not known to be a speeder. But I was, uh, 
It's the man. It's the man you married. <laughs> had to go before the judge. Right? But we're all going to, yes, it's a fearful thing when you really think about standing before the Bema with you and Jesus alone and Jesus, it's your whole life that he's going to reveal to you. The good, the bad, the ugly. Right? Oh, wow. And so we want to have a little something that we've allowed him to do through us in this life. That's what living the Christian life is, is allowing Christ to live his life through you. And, and my prayer, and it's been that, Lord, let my last years be my best years in my service to you, Lord. There's so many things that distract us, aren't there? What are some of the things that distract you from really reaching your full potential and all that God wants to do in your life? Housework. Oh, man. Home ownership. The work never ends. Goodness. You know? <laughs> We think it's so wonderful to own a house, right? You're a slave to it. Laundry. We should just throw away our clothes, buy new ones. <laughs> what are some of the other distractions? What? Taking care of grandkids. Unsafe, unsafe family. That can be such a distraction from what God wants to do in your life. How many people are crippled or paralyzed because of their unsafe family? Kids, grandkids, whatever. You know, and that's all you're consumed with. You, you can't even think about being used of God to touch anybody else's life. You're so consumed with the, your expectation of, and I understand your heart for them. I understand that. I do. But you, you need to not be paralyzed by that. You need to can't be held hostage by that. You need to go on in what the Lord has for you. What, what, what must it have been like for Aaron when here his sons, Nadab and Abihu, are anointed to become priests unto the Lord? How, how, oh, what joy he and his wife must have had to know that God had chosen his sons to be priests unto the Lord, to represent the Lord to the people and the people to the Lord. And then what happened shortly after that? They offered strange fire to God, and we can debate about what that strange fire was, but then he killed them both on the spot. And then what did he tell Aaron? Don't mourn. Don't mourn for these boys. Stop it. Serve me. Boy, I'll tell you, so many people are, are just, just paralyzed by their mourning for their unsaved family, whether it's your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, and whoever. Stop it. Give them to the Lord. Pray. Pray every day for them. Give them to the Lord and go on. Serve the Lord. Is that not good advice? Yeah, that's a big distraction too, isn't it? You want to say something? TV is bad. Oh, TV's a terrible destruction, except, except football. <laughs> no, TV's bad destruction. You know, it can be used good, right? You can watch Pastor Ritt on YouTube. <laughs> or it can, it can be a terrible distraction. You know, most people don't have the ability to read any longer because they just, they, they, they don't know how to read. They lost the art of reading. They lost the pleasure and the joy of reading, right? Do you read a lot? She makes you lady. 
Do you read much at home? Oh, you need, you need to stop everything else and you need to read. Do you want to be a pastor one day? Then you need to be well read. Okay? You need to read, 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 read. All right? All right. Um, let's see. I'll, I'll think about giving you a book I want you to read. And then you give me a book report, okay? Okay? All right. We're going to do it. All right. I got lots of books you can read. Yeah. I just got to pick one that's appropriate. <laughs> uh, what do you think? The Doctrines of Grace? <laughs> <laughs> Revelation. That's what, he was studying Revelation not too long ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's get on to something good. Well, that is good at the very end, right? Mm. Yeah. Any questions, comments, anything you want to share? This is just a living room chat. The internet is a time waster. A time waster. Oh, oh my. The phone. Yeah, all of that. I'm, I'm not, I have no social media footprint at all. I'm not on any of that. It's unbelievable the people that waste their time. And everybody's a celebrity, aren't they? You know? I mean, it's all about me. That's why we're such a, a man-centered society with a man-centered church, right? Hmm. We were going through the Revelation this morning, weren't we? The seven churches. We made it. The year's not over. The year's not over. We're getting there. We're almost there. Yeah, we're up right up to date. Two more weeks, and we're there. I'm going to give you a blue ribbon. Miracle. Yes. He did. Herod was an Edomite. Who was, the most, who was a contemporary Edomite? Contemporary. contemporary, in our time, that Israel had a real problem with. Yasser Arafat was a descendant of the Edomites. I had a cat. I initially named her Hadassah. Who was Hadassah in the Bible? Esther. Queen Esther. She was no Queen Esther. That cat would torment me at night. You know, she lay around sleep all day and then terrorized me at night. So I started calling her Arafat. <laughs> I said, I'll fix you, Arafat. I didn't feed her all day long. She said, this is cruel and unusual punishment. But then I fed her just before I went to bed. Aha. She had a full belly, and I slept all night, and so did she. <laughs> yeah. The seven churches. Which four represent the church today? Laodicea. Hmm? Ephesus. The first three, we believe, are closed. But the loveless church lost its first love. But um, a lot of theologians, a lot of uh, conservative dispensational commentators of the Bible will say that the first one would be uh, Sardis. And Sardis represents, oh no, excuse me, Thyatira. What does Thyatira represent? Catholicism. The Catholic Church. Sardis, what does Sardis represent? You know? From that perspective, from an ecclesiastical perspective, dead Protestantism. 
Thyatira represents Romanism or Catholicism, and it's really interesting to see what the description there really fits. And then Sardis represents dead Protestantism. Okay, but then you have the, the missionary church, the, the the church that there's no condemnation, there's only a commendation. Who is that? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. That's the one we want to identify with. Praise God. Hopefully, right? We're Church of Philadelphia, right? You're of little strength. No one even knows you exist, really. But you've not been denied my word and kept my name, right? And uh, what's the last church there? Laodicea. Laodicea. Now you know what Laodicea is. From an ecclesiastical point of view? It's what? You're neither hot nor cold, but I wish that you were either hot or cold, but you're lukewarm, so I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Now, well, you, you know why he would say that, right? You know the context. You know, if you were hot, you were therapeutic. If you were cold, you were refreshing. There were the hot springs. There were the cold, you know, bathing. You know, so all of that, I wish that you were hot or cold. It would stimulate growth and vitality and comfort, healing, whatever. But Laodicea represents, listen to me, Laodicea represents the marriage between those first two. What's the first two? Catholicism and dead Protestantism. What, what, what are we warned about continually in the Bible that's going to happen in the last days? A one world apostate church. Who wants to lead that, that ecumenical? Ecumenism is a good thing in its strictest definition, which is means the coming together of all denominations within Christendom. But ecumenism today is interfaith. Ecumenism today, the way the Pope describes it, is all faiths coming together. Now, he wants to be the leader of all of the faiths coming together as a one-world church. We're in the age of apostasy. We see that forming now. Laodicea, that lukewarm church that he vomits, it's, it's a marriage between Romanism and, and dead Protestantism and everything else that's out there in the world today. Hmm? Interesting, isn't it? How the Bible is so relative, yet written so long ago. Amazing. Okay, time to go home. David, do you have a closing song? And close us in a prayer so we can all get some sweet sleep tonight. Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.